You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. On almost any corner of almost every town, on every lonely highway, you'll ever travel down. You're gonna find a burger shop, Americana, mom and pop. How long there ain't no parents encouraging you to get a college education let me kill him have we got a school for you forget harvard forget princeton learn to earn big bucks fast beef plus buns equal bucks come to buster burger university fall in over here and see hamburger the motion picture we're here to learn to run a Buster Burger franchise. A lot of bull in every fight. A lot of bull in every fight. But you'll get more than just an education at Buster Burger U. Are you crazy? You'll be stimulated by a student body that shares your interest. Real neat. You'll find a faculty that really cares about you. <laughs> On-the-job training will get you ready. Can I Buster help you? For the fast-paced world of fast food. Well, I ever wanted to be a Buster Burger manager. America, you're getting back hungry. Hungry, 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 Buster Burger, America's favorite drive-through restaurant. Hamburger, the motion picture. It's funny enough to eat. Welcome to the Projection Booth. I'm your host, Rob St. Mary. Joining me, of course, Mr. Mike White. Tell me what you eat, and I'll tell you what you are. And joining us this week is Stephen Sadek from We Hate Movies. I know, it's me. Hi. Well, this week we're talking about Hamburger, the motion picture. The 1986 comedy from director Mike Marvin tells the tale of a sex addict, Russell Prokop, played by Lee McCluskey, whose problem is if he doesn't get a degree from an accredited university, he'll miss out on his inheritance. How much? We never really know, but that isn't important. So he finds out that Buster Burger University looks like just a place for him, especially with that no-sex policy. The film is an odd mix of lowbrow laugh, satire, and, for my mind, one of the smartest sex comedies of the 1980s. And we're also going to get into spoiler territory on this film, but it's okay, even though it was only released on VHS. It's never been on DVD so far, at least legally. Uh, the complete film is available for you to watch on YouTube, and I'm sure we'll have a link at our website, projection-booth.com. But first, Steve is our guest. We invited you on here because you are one of the chief haters on Hamburger over on your show, We Hate Movies. So tell us, what did you think the first time uh, you saw Hamburger, the motion picture? I've seen this movie twice, and uh, if I wasn't on this show, I probably would have seen this movie once. <laughs> so let you know where we are. I, I think this movie's a lot of fun. It's, it's funny. It's silly. It's wacky. Uh, it's racist. <laughs> it's ignorant. And it wears it all uh, with a level of 1980s bravado that you can't get, uh, can't get today. What about you, Mr. White? 
I saw this one probably when were you on the outside the cinema talking about this? Was that last year? It was last year because I gave to their original fundraiser and I got to be on and I did a uh, double feature of Hamburger the Motion Picture and Evil Clutch, which I think was the most bipolar review they ever gave. They liked Hamburger and thought Evil Clutch uh, was the worst thing they'd ever seen. It was like an AE kind of a, a review situation. Exactly. I think I saw this shortly after that just because you made it sound like so much fun in your review of it. And I'm not sure if I kind of agree or not. But <laughs> All right, so now we have two polar opposites. I will try and steer him my way, and you can try to steer him. <laughs> That's it. It's going to be a tug of war for his affection and love. You know, one of the things that I often talk about on this show is um, – is the sense of nostalgia that some of oh, our yeah. guest co-hosts come on with and say, yeah, I know it's not very good, but I saw it at a certain time and it has this meaning for me. And I always say, well, you know, F nostalgia. I think this might be one of the films that for me still holds up because of that. So um, I'm going to tell myself F you uh, <laughs> in your nostalgia. But I, I do think it does have some merits, and I really enjoy it. So let's get into it. Hamburger, the motion picture. So the movie starts off with a beautiful montage of uh, all of these fine people uh, eating in restaurants. And, of course, one of two theme songs for Hamburger, the motion picture. I don't know which one I like better. I, I really – I think this one might edge it out. I mean the theme songs alone – really knock this movie right out of the park. That'll and the the B roll of these people eating hamburgers is the that's about as ni- real nineteen eighties as, as it gets. It's not Marty McFly with a vest on. It's people eating dog food in a hamburger bun. You know, people want to be all like hipsterish and stuff and have their big, you know, waxed mustaches on all that. I think they're going back to like gentleman Jim kind of thing. This is the movie for them to see and see these people that have these handlebar mustaches in this opening montage. Oh, my God. It's legitimate. Oh, yeah. Well, the one thing that's funny to me, and I only realized this after watching it again just recently, is that the the whole point of the film is it, it's a satire on franchises and specifically McDonald's. And we'll get more into that as we go along with the whole Buster Burger thing. But there's no franchises in the beginning. It's all mom and pop little burger stands all over the place. Yeah, so, I guess that's probably the idyllic part of it, right? You know, like, this is what it should be, I guess, is, like, you know, going to a greasy spoon and having one of the worst hamburgers anyone's ever filmed, right? <laughs> it's all about those diners, drive-ins, and dives. There you go. Getting two tickets to Flavortown. <laughs> I, I don't know if there there was a Flavortown back then. I think they were just, they were, they were building it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> The early stages. Yeah, it was a development. You know, there it was. It was, it was a flavor slum, and then they had to come in and gentrify. Yeah. <laughs> a little urban renewal in flavor yes, town. Yes. Yes. So the uh, once you get through the montage, there's then this scene of all of these uh, semi-nude women or nude women in showers, all shot from basically the navel up, and that's where we first meet. Russell Procope and he's making out with the girl and this is like I guess he's at the university and he's making out in the girls uh, locker room and I sort of saw this as uh, as a nod back to Porky's which had come out a few years earlier. Now how old were you when you saw this the first time Rob? I saw this on VHS uh, when I was 8 or 9 it was around the same time that I saw wow. RoboCop so it probably wasn't uh, a great time for me to be watching this uh, <laughs> so so let, let, let me just talk about the nostalgia on this I guess since you brought it up I had a friend of mine that somehow 
rented this from the local video store and like the whole like lecture scene, which we'll talk about later and all of the, the buzzwords like put those cookies back. Motherfucker. Put those cookies back. Motherfucker. And things like that just became hilarious to us. I didn't get some of the jokes in here because obviously, you know, when you're eight, you don't know that much about sex and there's a lot of like sex jokes in here. Uh, but there was a certain kind of like weird kind of not playing in reality to the entire film that for some reason just I liked and I still kind of like. I mean, I, th- I think that uh, honestly, if I had seen this movie at that age, I would have an entirely different opinion of it, you know, because I saw this as a 30 year old bitter man through an ironic gaze, you know, so like you looking to pick it apart. But I think that if you know you see it as a kid before you kind of can look at the the politics involved or any of the, or any of that stuff and you're just looking at it a as boobs and b is like you know funny kind of juvenile jokes as a juvenile you really enjoy it you know what i mean and like i have a lot of those movies that are in my back pocket that i go back to that i might be embarrassed to say in the cold light of day you know well what was funny was i eventually got a copy of this on vhs there was about four movies in my house um and i was born in 78 so when when I was about nine or ten, we got our first VCR, and I used to just sort of watch on a loop. And it was Airplane, Ferris Bueller, this, and like the Indiana Jones movies. So like these, like I, I've seen this film, like even before I rewatched it for Outside the Cinema, and then for the show here, I can probably just recite all of the dialogue off the top of my head if someone just feeds me a line, and I could probably do the whole film as of like a one man show. It's kind of ridiculous when you're a little kid how you'll just watch something over and over and over again at nauseam. And it's funny when you put them next to those vaulted titles, just because that's the one you <laughs> owned. You know what I mean? Like m- mine was the same thing. I had like star Wars, uh, Tim Burton's Batman and like major pain. were all on the shelf together and we're in that loop. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just this, this loop of kids movies. So since we're getting into a little bit of nostalgia, what about you, Mr. Mike? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm thinking about this from a different point of view. I'm thinking about it from the boobs and just like thinking about, <laughs> When I first saw boobs in movies and, and when, you know, what impact that had for me and stuff. And I guess for me, I, I grew up more watching stuff on like Cinemax than necessarily on VHS. So I always go back to Fel- Felicity. I don't know if that movie holds up, but that and what's that one like? Malibu Express, like the there were fourteen movies named Malibu Express, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Yeah, and it just it was like okay, these are the boob movies, and I never really had like the the raunchy comedy thing that I I would do. You know, like I guess Revenge of the Nerds was kind of close, and there was one called Moving Violations that was kind of like this lovable group of losers, but. I, I guess like uh, even like police squad, uh, not police squad. Police academy was a little too old for me or something, so I didn't really get into that one. So I don't know. When it comes to nostalgia, I was just watching Star Wars over and over and over again. But Mulrats is kind of like the last gasp of this, right? You know what I mean? Like trying to get that '80s boob comedy. I mean, there's there are some boobs there, but it's got that other kind of piece to it. You know, that other Kevin Smith thing going on. It's very capricious. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, I had a friend if, when I was working in a movie theater, and he was all about this movie, The Party Animal, from 84. And he would always talk about The Party Animal. And I think it's very much the same thing. I went over to his house one time, and he showed me this movie, and I was like, okay, had I grown up with this movie, I think I would have appreciated it a lot more. But... Yeah, I, I just I didn't see it at the time. So, like, even I even kind of missed out on stuff like Zapped and stuff. So I don't know where my deficiencies were at that time. It is hard to watch it without that gaze, though. So because then you're like, oh, I know what a film are a film is. You know what I mean? And you're going through, and it's not hitting those checklists, and you have to sort of see it for what it is or what you would have thought it was back then. You know what I mean? You know what I think. When it comes to boob comedies, the closest I come is Night Shift, the Ron Howard film, because I recently, we, we did Working Girls on the show, and I threw in a couple quotes from um, Michael Keaton's character, and as I'm watching the scene that, that these quotes were from, I'm repeating the lines before he's saying <laughs> them. I'm like, holy shit, okay, I guess I did watch this one a lot. <laughs> Exactly. You know, they're, like I said, it's just when you're younger, for some reason, those tapes kind of get stuck and you would just watch them over and over and over again. And I, I know some people who are now young parents and it's driving them crazy because they're like, no, I don't want to watch that movie for the 1500th time this year. Thank you very much, kids. Gotta let it go. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all frozen all the time. It's a tyranny. It's an ice tyranny. <laughs> So coming out of what I, I called sort of the porky scene, he then, Russell then ends up at the school psychologist who this is where if if you don't know this is a satire and this is just an over the top ridiculous film is that the school psychologist is Dr. Gottbottom. So just the names of things in here, just the way the characters are played. And I want to eventually get into your your claim of racism at one point later on this, because I, I know that looking at it from a distance, that may be the case, but I, I don't necessarily think it is. So anyhow, uh, you have Dr. Godbottom and she's like, you know, you need to control yourself and and all of this stuff to to Russell. You, know, you can't just keep uh, laying every girl that, that comes your way. And of course she decides to get a sample of the goods from him. Yeah, this is very softcore porny for me. The got bottom, she's got the glasses, you know, and it's like where, which is kind of interesting because that thread just totally drops off because you think about like other kind of quote unquote boob comedies and it's all just getting the next scene. But really the nudity does kind of peter out once we get to Hamburg University a bit. Yeah, they start strong with the boobs here. It's like, all right, we got all the ones at the beginning, and then this uh, Karen Mayo Chandler, who played Dr. Gottbottom, she's got a, a really nice set going on. And then, yeah, it's not until, like, what, uh, uh, Guacamole later on and Mrs. Vunk. Yeah, so we, we do have a, a, a good dry spell of boobs for a while here. <laughs> which, which I have to say is kind of the Joel Silver school, right? Where it's like you need yeah. an explosion in the first reel and then every mm. up, you know, at the end of each reel past then. So you got to start big. You got to start bold. Mm-hmm. And this, it definitely does start with the boobs, which, like I said, I mean, for me, isn't all that exciting. I'm sure if we had Murphy on here from, you know, Badasses, Boobs, and Body Count, he would be 
freaking out right now because, oh, there's so many boobs in the first, you know, five minutes. But no, not that exciting. So so you move on from there and the parents are upset with him and his dad's going to strangle and kill him and says so. And the whole thing is this is where the inheritance gets brought up, that he needs to get a degree from an accredited university in order to get his inheritance. Now, that doesn't explain how much this inheritance is. And to be honest, his parents' house looks pretty damn poor. It looks about as poor as the house I grew up in in suburban Detroit. So, I, I mean, what is he What is he going to be, a thousand heir if he gets out of college? I mean, I'm sure the, the loans would be higher than that. Well, that's a lot of money in 1986, though. you got to remember, a thousand bucks, that's... I think seventy thousand dollars now, or is that? I don't know. I don't have my calculator, my inflation calculator, in front of me. But uh, it's, I was totally reminded of like easy money at this point. So I thought it'd be like this whole him going to all these different colleges. But I guess that movie has already happened. Now it's it's time for the last college here. <laughs> this is the last college on everyone's list. Oh, yeah. Yes. And not only that, but it's free. So that's even better. So there's none of that crazy student loan. So maybe, you know, all you kids who are, um, you know, worried about what you're going to do for your education, maybe you should consider Busterberger University. Well, isn't Starbucks paying for college now? Yeah, but that's if you want to learn, like, actual stuff. I mean, Busterberger University is all about Busterberger. I want you all full burger lovers. That's right. Buster the Bull wants you to join Busterberger's booming business. We've got openings right now at our manager training college at Busterberger University. In 12 short weeks, you can learn all there is to know about our 100% bull burgers, tasty fries, and ice-cold shakes. Heck, we'll even give you a bull-high diploma to show the world that you're as full of bull as I am. So stop by your local Busterberger for details. The future you change may be your own. Oh, like University of Phoenix. Musterberg University refuses to teach you anything but hamburgers. There are like academic textbooks, but like they literally chuck them out the first day to build the grease fire, essentially. I'm just amazed that this is an accredited university. (laughs) That's the point. I don't know about the accreditation. Is do they do they go that far? Because I don't know, like this crazy will uh I would imagine you need to produce some sort of a certificate that's not like you know, stripper school or, you know, I don't, I don't know what the other one would be, like a stand-up school or something. Well, the other thing is, is that it doesn't appear to be any longer than maybe two months. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very accelerated courses here, yes. Well, yeah, it's, it's, for, it's for the super geniuses that are need to be there for four years. Well, uh, contrary to popular belief, I did not move to Colorado to attend Westerberger University. I just wanted that on the record. You didn't go looking for it? No, sadly, it is not here. But actually, it is based on uh, the the whole Busterberger University thing, of course, is based on Hamburger University, as it's called, which is McDonald's training campus in Illinois. Does that still exist or is that something that that was only in like the the 70s and 80s? No, it still exists. I I looked it up and it's been around since the early 60s. It was founded by Ray Kroc, who, of course, bought the, the McDonald's concept from the original guys. And it was their training. It's their training and management school. So if you want to buy a franchise or if you want to run a franchise and upper management within the McDonald's system, you go to Hamburger University. I don't know if you guys have ever seen some of those training videos from McDonald's, but those are pretty funny. If you go out on YouTube and take a look, there's some good training videos out there. See, that's when the one is, thing that's missing in here is that there is no good training videos within uh, Hamburger the Motion Picture. Yeah, that'd be a good way to break up the action. Wendy's has a lot of good training videos. Uh, Hot Drinks is very excellent if you ever listen to it. 
it's a, it's a rap song about how to make a hot drink. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's what you want. Probably not as good as the Buster Burgers theme, though. This is where we get the first version of the Buster Burger theme. And that's the thing that's amazing about Hamburger the Motion Picture was they had the forethought and the amount of time and talent to write at least four or five different versions of the Buster Burger theme song. Oh, as uh, like a choral piece, as a funk piece, <laughs> as a, just a straight jingle. Uh, yeah, yeah, they spent a little money on that one. We got the rights we're going to use it. Yeah, well, this is an adios amigo, as we talked about on the uh, Boss Nigger episode. Right. Yeah, they they have the good variations. This kind of reminded me of like uh, Raising Arizona where, you know, when he runs into the the um grocery store how it's like the the Muzak version of the theme and everything or or maybe more like the the long goodbye where it's all these different versions of it. So, yes, I just did compare Hamburger the the motion picture to Robert Altman. I win. So, I win. <laughs> he's, he's on that side now. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> a lot of episode left. And this is where you get the, the, the beautiful sweep and pan up of the whole campus and everything. And, of course, there's the standard recruit scene, which we've seen in every sort of, you know, ragtag group movie, uh, war film, uh, you know, um, and Full Metal. Dirty Dozen, yeah. Stripes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket, which would come out a year later, I think was heavily influenced by Hamburger the Motion Picture. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I read a book that Kubrick was obsessed with it uh, the, the whole year before he, he got into the studio. It was that. He was playing chess with Dick Butkus every day. The rumor was he wanted Dick Butkus, but he ended oh. up having to settle for Arlie Army. Yeah, that's a shame. So this is where we meet the ragtag group of, I would say, stereotypes. And they're all exaggerated stereotypes. And this is where I think we can get into the, the question of, is it racist? And I think because they are so exaggerated and cartoony and ridiculous that I don't necessarily find them racist. I mean, I think that that's fair enough. I feel like that there's probably, you know, if you showed this to somebody, you know, again, in the cold light of 2014 and 20, in 1986, we were allowed to get away with a lot more and, you know, the culture was different. And, but I think that, you know, you, you watch it now with, say, a Hispanic gentleman and the guacamole jokes probably wouldn't exactly go over so well when was uh pretty in pink i mean that was right around this time right it was 85 86 yeah 
Okay, yeah, because I I can see like you know Long Duck Dong I think is is worse than Magneto Jones. What's happening, hot stuff? But I don't know. That's just me. I would say so because of the context. Because Pretty in Pink is supposed to be real. I never got the feeling mm-hmm. watching Hamburger that we're dealing in reality. Because, like you were saying, the whole um, you know guacamole freedom fighter. Just the fact that she's from the country of guacamole, you know, and just mm-hmm. all it's just it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's it's cartoon. As opposed to Santa Flan. <laughs> Which was named after the patron saint of uh, creamy desserts. There you go. <laughs> Sandy Hackett in here playing Fred Domino. Um, apparently, Buddy Hackett's son. Did oh, not wow. realize that at the time. Yeah. He borrowed his dad's jacket, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack Blessing as the incredible nerd. I uh, was very uh, admiring of this nerd character so, who. Um, just is very obsessed with Buster Burger and listening to the theme song on his headphones, which I'm sure Rob could appreciate that. Oh, hi! Nacho Herb Zipster, call me Nacho! This is my favorite song. Say, you want to listen? What? I'll pass, thank you. Your attention, please. Another million Buster Burgers have been sold since Sunday. That is all. America, you're getting burger hungry. Hungry for the burger that makes you full. It's a, oops, it's Buster time. Just got it with a double Buster Burger with cheese. Real simulated corpse. Well, looks like Buster's tail stopped ticking, Zipnik. Zipster. Uh-oh. There it goes. <laughs> Hey. Like I said, here's another reference to another 80s comedy. So Revenge of the Nerds, like I said, Porky's earlier. Um, it, it, it just seems to pull these things forward and then mutate them and make them ridiculous. Are you saying this is a meta film? Partially. It doesn't even know what meta is. It's smart. <laughs> it's smart. <laughs> it's not that smart. I will say that I was impressed with the nerd performance. And if I had to like draft a 1980s comedy, I would draft this guy. I, I think like... Yeah, out of all the cast, I would I would take him onto my new ship and be like, let's see, let's watch that nerd in another context. The other thing that makes no sense outside of the whole inheritance, you have to go to school for the inheritance, is the Magneto Jones character. Now, I'm I'm willing to give you that, but once again, like I said, <laughs> he will concede will that Magneto that. Jones. <laughs> well, the, the whole concept is is that look. Man, if this harassment puts a strain on my highly talented vocal cords, or if anybody even thinks about touching my $75 Slick Rick Bad Boy concert beats, I'm going to commence to pimp slapping somebody right now. Clam it, dark breath. You're on buster ground. You read me, faggot? Yeah, I think so, sir. Good. <laughs> You're here because the Supreme Court sniffing around our franchises claiming that there hasn't been a single black Buster Burger owner in 25 years. Well, we intend to graduate you, Jones, just to prove to the whole world that we ain't bigoted. You dig it, Jones? They have kidnapped basically Rick James, uh, sort of this amalgam of Rick James and Prince, and are forcing him through the Buster Burger program. Forcing him in handcuffs the entire time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a bit uncomfortable to watch your main black protagonist in chains the entire movie. There's just a little, it, it gets there. But, and he, he doesn't really ever, I mean, he does sort of quote unquote win at the end, but not 
in a convincing way or like he kind of buys in at the end as opposed to walks away or, you know, gets gets his, you know, gets a big recording contract or something like that. I feel bad for Magneto Jones because it's like he's in so many scenes, like he shows up in the helicopter scene that we'll get to and a whole lot of other scenes. But we never spend any time with them, and it's like I'd actually like to get to know this character a little bit more. Well, the other thing that's also confusing with the Magneto Jones character, and this might be a deeper read that I've <laughs> realized lately, is I can't figure out if he's straight or gay. Because there are certain moments where there are like naked men or there's some sort of conversation going on, and uh, he's like, you know, it's okay, I'm not looking kind of stuff. So there's this whole kind of like back and forth where he's talking about you know, women and he's talking about men. So I'm, I, I was a little confused by his sexuality, but at the same time, I think maybe they're making fun of like Prince, who of course at yeah. this time was wearing the ashless chaps. Mm. I mean, everybody knew what, what, where Rick James went, but uh, Prince was always the question mark. And I think that that's, yeah, that's kind of where, where they're going with this. He's got the high voice. He's doing almost a little Jackson as well, you know? Yeah. I could definitely see some Michael Jackson or hear some Michael Jackson in that. Well, you know, the one thing that I often felt bad for now that I think about it with Magneto Jones is, you know, he should have just went to McDonald's because, you know, right around this time, Calvin was getting the job at McDonald's. I'm not sure if I catch that reference. Commercials. No, no. it's old McDonald's commercial where like the people in the neighborhood, it was supposed to be like the low income black neighborhood. It's like, hey, did you hear Calvin? You know, Calvin's working at McDonald's now and all this. So, hey, isn't that Calvin? I haven't seen him for a while. Wonder where he's heading. I heard he got a job. Is that right? Well, it's about time he got himself together. Now that you mention it, there is something different about him. Just goes to show you can't judge a book by its cover. Looks like responsibility's been good for him. Well, I'm just glad somebody believed in him enough to give him a chance. Wonder where he's working. Welcome to McDonald's. May I help you? Anyhow, so, you know, in, instead of being led in chains to Buster Burger, he should have just done it. But I don't think he had much choice, unfortunately. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's the one place that I can I can concede a little bit on the, you know, the possible, you know, racist stuff. Sure. Is because he is the only black character and he hasn't changed the whole time. So that's that's kind of bad. And <laughs> I, we, we've been just a little bit just just between you and me. We've been trying and had a little back and forth, actually, with the guy who plays Magneto Jones, Chip McAllister, who actually won the Amazing Race season five with his wife, which we learned. And uh, we're in contact with him trying to get him on the show. I'm still hoping that maybe that interview comes through because I'd love to ask him what he thought, if he thought it was a racist character or not. Oh, yeah, that'd be really I can't believe his name is Chip McAllister. That's like that's an 80s bad guy name, you know, with Chip McAllister. He should have a sweater Mm -hmm. like tied around his shoulders and that kind of stuff. (laughs) Tennis, anyone? Mm -hmm. He should be played by William Zabka. I mean, that's it. Yeah. And during the recruit scene, uh, who which also includes a nun. Uh, a really fat guy. I, I would say that this movie really takes it out on on people who have a little uh, a little extra. I would oh say it's definitely uh, <laughs> folks, just folks, just a tiny bit. Yeah, yeah, folks who have a little extra around the middle. This is uh, not going to help your self esteem at all. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's that thing where like everyone's a hungry, hungry hippo. Like you can't just be a guy that eats too much or a guy that doesn't go to the gym quite as much as he has to. Like your life. You you have a phone. You have a you know a hamburger T-shirt, 
a hamburger telephone, you know what I mean? It's your life to eat hamburgers. It's like wimpy on steroids. <laughs> yes. I love that even the decorations, I mean, all of this stuff at Buster University is hamburger related, but especially when they go into the dorm rooms and we see the beds, these huge hamburger beds that look like something that I would have loved when I was 10 or 12 years old. I would love that now, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty cool bed. Pull up the, the top bun, maybe get slide under the <laughs> lettuce there. I mean, the, 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 the blankets seem very comforting, comfy. Yes. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, <laughs> special orders, don't upset us. I feel bad for Russell. So Russell, our main character, really, like I said, I would love to see more Magneto Jones, but we've got Russell, the main guy who doesn't want to have sex and is at this sex-free campus. And then they put him with, uh, what? what's the guy's name? Presta Popnik, right? Is is that the the horn dog? No, that's Fred Domino. That's oh my bad, uh, Fred Domino. Yeah, the, okay. the the heavy set guy is Preston Popnik. Yeah. Okay, so they put him with with Buddy Hackett's son, and who is just this complete horn dog in this movie. And it's like, I would ask for a room change. I think because this guy is nothing but a bad influence. Yeah, but yeah, if he get would... around, then things wouldn't happen. Then the True. film would have crashed. <laughs> <laughs> then it would have been like, I don't know, like the paper chase or something where we have all these people trying to make it through Buster University and facing adversity and all these things, right? And, you know, oh, we, yeah. Maybe he rooms with Prestopovnik and gets to the root of his eating disorder, you know what I mean? Like, what's he trying to mask, really? Why does oh. he need an electric chair in his pocket to help him stop eating? This week on a very special Hamburger the Motion Picture. <laughs> they could help each other out. They could both get to the core of what's causing Prestopopnik's overeating and what's causing Russell's sex addiction. But it's almost like he doesn't have a sex addiction. It's like everyone's attracted to him. He's like walking Spanish fly or something, and all these girls are just throwing themselves at him. And he's almost like, no, hey, you know, he's like, I really shouldn't be doing this. It's it's interesting because you do want I mean like you want I kind of want him and Domino to get into the hijinks together like you know be a be a two man band of you know no good nicks but watching this one guy like it's almost like oh man you should have seen me last week I was totally outrageous and out and and really fun to watch but now I really need to get this in this nondescript sum of money and I will stop at nothing <laughs> for that. So I must be good now, yes. but you can easily sway me when you talk about Chinese food. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and that's the other place where, you know, you were talking about Magneto Jones. It is the Chinese restaurant where that whole thing is racist. I'm, you know, <laughs> it's just, just the names of all the dishes and then Fred going. Maybe if we get the Rocky and they see us next to a cup of the fortune cookie. Fred, I agree to food, not women. You are no fun. Stupid sort of Charlie Chan voice kind of stuff. Yeah, it's racist with a capital T is what that is, for sure. Yeah, and I guess we shouldn't um, skip ahead. You had mentioned um, Druton, Dick Buckus, who is very early Ermy in this, I have to say. And he's, he's angry, sometimes for no good reason. He just seems very, very angry. But there's like the other faculty members who I find interesting, especially Dr. Mole, played by Chuck McCann. Or is it Dr. Mole? It's Dr. Mole. Okay. It, no accent on the E? No. No. If, if he was Hispanic, he would be Dr. Mole. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But yeah, he's uh, – he, I don't get this character necessarily. But then a lot of times I don't get Chuck McCann sometimes. So <laughs> – 
he Chuck, Chuck works very broad. The character to me is just a spoof on, you know, mad scientist and mm-hmm. the whole sort of mole thing I thought was like Marvel Comics, you know, like Mole Man and what is it, Spider-Man or whatever. I mean, he's got the, you know, the, the glasses on and all of that stuff. And there's a scene where he takes the glasses off and he's basically blind. You can't see his eyes. And then, he, you know, he puts the glasses back on and. And he can't really hear well, and he has like the uh, the the nerd character, as you were saying, Zipser, who can't, no one can seem to get his name right, um, is automatically drawn to the mole, Doctor Mole, because he knows that he's doing all this great research and cool stuff uh, for uh, Buster Burger, and of course he's well studied in the history of Buster Burger. Doctor Mole, uh, yes, yes. Me, I just wanted to tell you how excited I am about taking your Buster Burgerometry class 101. Uh, thank you, thank uh, you very I much. So much about your work in the New England Journal of Fried Food. Oh, you have been a pleasure to meet you, sir. He sacrifices his humanity for that. I mean, really, as he turns himself into a half chicken at the end of this movie. <laughs> Aware chicken, I think is what. Yeah, which uh, the, the sequel could be Poultry Geist, the, uh, the Lloyd Kaufman uh, trauma film, The Night of the Chicken Dead. Yeah, and we'll talk about that uh, later. But the, you know, that whole character, and of course, just Charles Tyner as Lyman Funk. And Lyman Funk and his just, this white suits, which obviously is a, is a call to Colonel Sanders or maybe Tom Wolfe, I'm not sure which. And then... <laughs> He's just sort of like overly animated and crazy. And we talked about Charles Tyner uh, when I was discussing, uh, God, I can't remember what episode it was, but we were talking about Harold and Maude. And he has that character in there where he's the uh, the one-armed uncle, the military guy of uh, Harold who tries to recruit him into the army because it'll be good for him. And around this time, he also played the desk clerk, which he's a little bit more uh, muted in Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. And whenever he kind of shows up as a character um, – He's just he has this really unique face, and you know you're going to get really odd kind of line readings. I mean, it's almost like he's announcing to the back seats most of the time, even on film. Welcome, welcome. I'm Lyman Funk, founder of Busterberger, chairman of the board, and dean of Busterberger University. And this is the secret sauce of my life, Mrs. Funk. I'm having a get-together party at my house tonight, and you're all invited. I like to know who my Buster Burger charges are going to be. Take over, Sergeant. I really like him. I mean, he's been in so many great things. You mentioned Harold and Maude, but he was one of the bosses in um, Cool Hand Luke. And, uh, oh, he's yeah. just, and he was in, um, I think, Outlaw Josie Wales. So it just every time he shows up in anything, it's like, yeah, this guy's here to play, and I'm always excited to see what he does. Yeah, he he owns his neck cords. I mean, he, some actors don't use their neck cords. He uses them to uh, a great effect. And I like how he's kind of smart but kind of clueless at the same time because his wife um, just, I guess, misses Funk, no, no first name or anything, is like the trophy wife, and he doesn't seem to even understand that she's stepping out on him at all. But uh, I don't know. It works. It definitely works for the hijinks. Well, for me, it's just the idea of an obsessive. Like, he can't right. see anything past, you know, his obsession, which, of course, is Buster Burger. And that obsession leads to all of this stupid, ridiculous lingo, which people joke about, you know, Mick this, Mick that. But it's everything like, can I Buster help you and Buster this and Buster that? And, you know, so it's it's an obvious little poke at, I think, Colonel Sanders and McDonald's all at the same time. 
yeah, he is obsessed right now with beating the colonel, and he wants like the perfect chicken stuff so that he will, you know, corner the market. He's he's got the hamburger market pretty well sealed up, I think, with this whole unique thing of bull burgers versus hamburgers. You know, it's not being made with a female. Uh, cows, I guess that we only want the male cows. Burgers which for men. Like, yeah, seems like it would be. I don't know, pretty expensive if you're going to do that. Yeah, because you'd have to slaughter a whole other animal and have a whole other outfit. You get, you try and get a bull on a, you know, on a slaughtering line. Not, not a lot of fun. Right. Yeah, and I think there is a very not like men and women how there's like the fifty fifty one kind of split going on right now. I think. If we were to go out into the dairy world, yes. we would see that that there are very few bulls compared to, uh, I guess, cows. Lady, yeah, cows would be the lady one. Yeah. Well, you know, Lyman Vunk also teaches a very important class in um, the proper way to handle yourself in a Buster Burger restaurant, and of course, the various, um, you know, I would say slogans that go along with your um, your management style. We reserve the right to refuse service to assholes like you. <laughs> Which, I'm, I'm surprised he's doing business with these slogans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, which is just so ridiculous because if you were obsessive about your business, you would want it to run great. You wouldn't tell people to put the cookies back or uh, that you're going to refuse service to them. Yeah, these don't really work out too well, though, I have to say. I mean, the cookies one does. But when they finally get to break out, the right to refuse service <laughs> doesn't happen. Well, they also let an old lady die in their parking lot in the beginning or facilitate that, you know, where they're just sort of like they're so rude to her. She can't even believe it. And her heart stops like that's <laughs> that's bad publicity. They should have had Claire Peller play that role. <laughs> Where's the beef? Yeah, well, she was doing that Moving Violations movie I was talking about. Ah, okay. With Bill Murray's other, other brother, John, who's not even Brian Doyle Murray. So the other Murray. Is he not even the Murray that's in uh, Mad Men and uh, the in the, 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 Gold, the Goldthwait movie? I, I don't think so. I think he was, like, here and there in... Uh, he's he's the, the brother that that um scrooge goes to visit in scrooge okay the one yeah. done murray i got gotcha. you exactly yep background player in caddyshack type of guy <laughs> yes nice yeah so we already kind of talked about them getting to this chinese restaurant so the whole thing is is that they're on a lockdown campus not only can you not have sex you can't have outside food so you have to eat all of the stuff which to me sounds like the premise for uh supersize me you know the idea that you're only gonna eat fast food every day for like a month so they, um, they're like, hey, let's sneak out. Let's go get some Chinese food. They go to this Chinese restaurant, which I said they do all the horrible racist uh, menu items and all, you know, Charlie Chan stuff. And just happen to run into Mrs. Vunk and, of course, Mia, who becomes the love interest of Russell in a very uh, right and tender way, one would say, you know, in those after school specials. And, sure. um, and Fred decides that, you know, he's going to order off the menu. <laughs> And have something under the table. You okay, Mrs. Vonk? She's got uh, hot flashes. You do? Oh, I do. Kind of young for hot flashes, aren't you? Well, I... uh, I... 
I got it from my husband. Oh. I love eating out. You're a dead man. Then I'm going to die like this. And uh, that eventually leads to a little problem because uh, our, our good friend, the drill sergeant, shows up to, you know, have Chinese and he just happens upon them as well. Oh, well, you just happen to have Chinese and I was going to take you out for Chinese. So why don't we just eat now? While Mrs. Vunk's stepdaughter is just a few feet away and she seems to have no problem yeah, <laughs> with with her stepmom and and this guy under the table. I mean, I'm sorry if you're at a table with somebody that's having a sex act and you willfully stay there. You are now part of that sex act, one way or another. Like this turns into a, a weird orgy, almost. You know what I mean? A, a passive orgy. I've never heard that term before, but I like. I it. I think I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. On the Steven Sadak's passive orgy. <laughs> that's exactly. That's my sex comedy where it's me just kind of in the background, kind of sort of maybe reading a book. Are you wearing a robe? <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. It's a classy passive orgy. Very nice. Yeah. Pipe, book, robe. Yeah. So, of course, you know, the table starts a rocking and uh, Dick Butt Kiss goes and knock it on the ribs. And uh, before you know it, the tablecloth slides off and. <gasps> We now know what he was doing under the table. So They have uh, glass tables at this Chinese restaurant. Very classy. So I also think that Hamburger, the motion picture, also helped to inform American foreign policy, in case you didn't know in the next scene, because Drill Sergeant Druton takes both Russell and Fred Domino to be basically the equivalent of waterboarded at Buster Burger University. Something tells me, Rob, that you would actually like this. <laughs> No, 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 no. See, you know, the thing that's funny is I'm the vegetarian, so I'm not even going to eat any hamburgers. And uh, I still enjoy hamburger the most picture. Oh, see, I was talking about being locked in the pickle with the Buster Burger theme song going. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. And, and of course, there is a, a, there's a double use there. Boy, are we in a pickle. Because they're actually in a pickle. They're inside of a basically a, a pickle with a smiley face. And they have the torture jingle and the torture sauce. try to find a few good men and women let's just see if you're up to the buster brand of discipline i'm sorry about the chinese food man are we in a pickle I'm always a fan of you show two things and then you show you cut to a guy who's a skeleton. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think if we had one more pickle canister that had a skeleton inside of it, I would be – that's a knee slapper. There you go. Maybe with a beard on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it just he just could not get it. I would like that. Maybe even with a Buster Burger uniform <laughs> on too. Just draped around them. So they don't get thrown out, which, of course, they violated all – basically the tenants of the entire place. But for some reason, they're going to keep them on. Now, when you were talking about the waterboarding scene, does that come before the pickle scene or after the pickle scene? No, I'm basically saying that waterboarding and the pickle scene are the equivalent of each other. Okay, because I was was curious because they have that, like, I Love Lucy scene with the burger maker machine. And that, to me, kind of was a little torturous, too, especially when he takes the guy's head and forces it down in the burgers and stuff. So... 
I wasn't sure if that's what you were referring to. See, that would be an that would be another reference to another comedy to me. Like I said, okay, so there's Porky's, there's Revenge of the Nerds, and then of course the the whole assembly line thing from uh, I Love Lucy. Which I think that that sequence is actually pretty successful. It's a lot of fun. It's very weird. That's like the weirdness. And I mean, look, a lot of these cutaway scenes are where it's just sort of let's just find ways. It's like almost like a Mad Libs. Like, all right, here you you got or, or like a category. It's like you got hamburgers. Find as many many ways to make puns as you can, and you know, there's like the bit, the pickle birthing scene, uh, which is very <laughs> very bizarre. Pulling the unborn pickles out of the mama pickle that's died on the table. Yes, died in childbirth. Yeah. <laughs> no. See, I don't. I I mean, maybe at age eight or nine, I just had a love of absurdism and surrealism. I I don't know if it was because I was reading a lot of Mad Magazine at the time. Sure. But for some reason, this movie just like I said, it it really kind of resonated with me. You know what? I now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Have either of you guys seen uh, Pandemonium from like early '80s? Paul Rubens was in it. Tom Smothers, Carol Kane, um, Judge Reinhold, and I'm not sure who all else was in that. It sounds familiar, but I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't see. I think I think that was the one that I would watch over and over again. So I, I I cannot throw any stones about this because that movie, having watched it again recently, I find it absolutely hilarious. But I don't think anybody else would. <laughs> Comedy's kind of like that, though. Whatever sticks in your craw, usually at any age, will always kind of make you laugh, no matter how much your you might may, may like to pretend you involved. Exactly. So we have the, the the torture scene, and of course, like Fred still can't keep it to himself. He still has to go after Mrs. Bunk. And Mrs. Bunk goes after him at, of all places, the Buster Burger Church. I don't know, is Buster Burger is, uh, an actual, authentic religion? Please be seated, my Buster brethren. I shall talk to you this morning on the Book of Munches, chapter 12, verse 16. Bust. <laughs> Buster plus work equals health. Buster plus work equals wealth. Isn't it great? Isn't it good that we chose to follow the path of fast food brotherhood? Busterism? Buster, I guess. I mean, this is when we're we're in a cult at this point, really, when we're all just chanting about burgers and this crazy maniac is up at a pulpit giving a sermon about God knows what. It's just like, this is when I leave. You haven't bought into the cult at this point? Absolutely not. Well, I guess that's what's in the special sauce that they pour down your throat in the pickle. They should probably put some saltpeter in that special sauce just to calm (laughs) this guy down. So they end up sneaking off and uh, somehow get into a helicopter. And (laughs) Jones gets in the helicopter with them, hoping that he can get to his gig because he's got this big gig. Fred! Mrs. Funk? Magneto, get the hell out of here! Wait, Hollywood, please, one way. No. Magneto, we're not going anywhere! Wait, 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 I have to go to the Carolina West. I have a gig to do, man, and I have my single. I'm doing this. Magneto Jones, sold to the bone. I won't look Fred, I promise. Get out of here! You can trust me, baby. I got this concert date tonight, man. You gotta take me with you, Fred. I'm going to switch this over. You're gonna get your buster butt out of here. No, and um, so they're they're pawing around in the helicopter, sort of flying around. And, uh, yeah, it doesn't work out too well for our good friend, Joel Sergeant Druton. Yeah, because he's got the, the, the 80s thing of, like, oh, my car. My, you know, he's got this, like, sweet, sweet car that he's 
love the second you see this car, you know it's done for, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, which to me, when I see that, I know exactly what car that is. That is like a 1984 or 85 Ford Mustang, and those were really bad Mustangs. Like the design is terrible compared mm-hmm. to before and after. Like there was a period in the 80s when cars looked terrible. Extra extra edges on every car. You don't want any smooth lines. Every, everything's a box. Yeah. As unaerodynamic as you can possibly make this car. Yeah, I was actually pretty happy to see it get crushed by the helicopter. Of course, I'm thinking of Con Air at this point. <laughs> but at the same time, once again, another problem with another one of their students, the same guy, after they put him in the torture sauce and the torture pickle, and he still doesn't get thrown out. <laughs> what does it take to get thrown out of Hamburger University, out of uh, Buster Burger University around this place? He might be related to to the, to the Vunks. You know, maybe it's like... Fred Domino Vunk, and nobody's telling, you know, nobody's saying it. Well, I, I'm glad that Mrs. Vunk is not related by blood then. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> so after that, uh, this is where the whole sort of, you know, we've been eyeing each other between Mia and Russell starts to develop. And this is where Druton starts to see them kissing and see them making those eyes. And he's got it out for him. He's not going to pass, which we know that if he doesn't pass Buster Burger University, he won't get whatever. 50 bucks or whatever his inheritance is <laughs> x dollars it's a, it's 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 your 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 patented bag with a money sign on it we don't know what's inside of it <laughs> he's gonna get some bitcoins yes tons of bitcoins yeah i don't know why like it's it's interesting why druton why this woman would ever date druton because she seems right. a bit out of his league in almost every why anyone would date dick, dick butkus I'll, I'll go that far even Yeah, I won't disagree. I mean, he he has his appeal, but not in this film, (laughs) because he just is a he's a a font of rage the entire time. Yeah, and that font of rage leads him to basically kind of hoping that he'll be able to fail him at the oral exams. Doesn't happen, which then leads them to actual practical in the restaurant experience, and of course, him being the drill sergeant. He's now driving around in his car, which now is a convertible and sort of all the quarter panels have fallen off. It's it's quite the machine and um, sets them up in this uh, restaurant and says, all right, kids, uh, you have to run this restaurant during the day and uh, I'll be visiting. And also Mr. Vunk will be visiting. So do a good job. And of course, uh, he tries to sabotage them in every way possible. Our group of ragtag lovable losers all manning this. And I was hoping like. Everybody would have their special skill, yeah. and this was the time where it's like, okay, you know, fat guy, you can do this, and nerd guy, you're over here, and we're going to put the nun over here, the nun who's barely in the movie, but we're going to put the nun over here, and yada, 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 but unfortunately, it doesn't really happen. They all just kind of hang out behind the counter. Yeah, it's it's the 1980s credo, get behind the white guy, <laughs> let him, you know, <laughs> let, him, let him lead us to the finish line, which he does, uh, through laxatives and other and other means. He is the Steve Gutenberg of this film. Absolutely. Yes. Which they have to deal with basically, uh, I would say, four main plagues of them trying to run. <laughs> it's almost like a video game. It, it could have been. It could have been an excellent video game. Um, you, the, the first plague is the plague of fat people. Hi, can I bust or help you? Yeah, are you the chief buster? Yes, I'm the manager. Oh, congratulations. Sign. Sign what? Look, uh, pal, all I do is deliver them. An hour later, I come back, I pick them up, okay? It was your community relations department set up the whole thing. What are they? It's an eating club. And I hope you got plenty of dessert. 
<laughs> which they disperse with with the laxative that you mentioned and blow out the entire back part of the restaurant but apparently the um fire department isn't called or anything with another asian stereotype oh yes taking all the pictures yes, yes. Yeah, these, these aren't fat people these are like furies you know what i mean like these are mythological beings that are on this earth to do one thing and like scour the earth for meat and diet coke it's 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 the uh the the flight of the valkyrie i guess i don't know <laughs> I guess it would be the locust if we're going to Exodus. Yeah, there we go. Well, and then they're descended upon by bikers. One burger. Well done. To go. Uh, Magneto, kill me a burger, send it walking. No more burgers, man. Where's the bull? Where's, Where's the bull? 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 Look, pal, we reserve the right to refuse service to assholes like you. Who just seem to enjoy destroying things. I mean, I've, I feel a little bad for the stereotype of these bikers. Now, here is where we get some redemption for the black man. Okay, are you ready for redemption for the black man? Uh, Druton takes over their drive through and sees the black cop coming through the drive through and harasses him and says a bunch of racist stuff to him. So then the black motorcycle cop goes and gets all of his other black motorcycle cop friends, which I don't know what town this is. I mean, even in Detroit, I don't think you could find that many black cops. <laughs> it's an 85% black town. And they come back and wreak havoc on the place because you're all a bunch of racists. Oh, God, am I glad to see you guys? You mean us Afro-Turf corner crunches? place is yours, boys. And they team up with the bikers, which I really like. I like the black cops and the bikers working together uh, to really knock the hell out of that place. I like how the bikers are credited in the credits as rent a gang. <laughs> no individual. Uh, may, I think biker gang leader and girl on motorcycle are, are, are in there, but the rest of them are just rent a gang. Again, that's another movie I'd want to see is what, what, what the rent a gang is like. What, what, they're, oh, yeah. what are their off days like, really? <laughs> they hang out with the black bikers. Uh, the black How do they practice? <laughs> and then the, uh, I, I guess the final, which is um, Druton again, and a another stereotypical Latinos. Uh, in this case, not being Central American freedom fighters, but I would say definitely uh, stereotypical uh, Mexican migrant workers with a truck full of chickens, who uh, Druton decides to play chicken with, crashing them into the Buster Burger restaurant. <laughs> Boys want to play a little chicken, eh? Which is his downfall because he thinks, you know, now this place is going to be filled with. Uh, not only he's already won, but this this one more coup de gracie that he goes for really comes and bites him in the ass. Well, I like how we have the the false note in here of the main guy saying like, "Hey, we're gonna team up. We're gonna get together. <laughs> we're gonna we're, you know let's turn this into an open air you know cafeteria, and we're gonna clean up this whole mess and all this." When I look around this Buster franchise, 
A whole franchise? You know what I see? I see a buster future that didn't even know it had a buster past. You might see a hole in the wall, but not me. I see a brand spanking new buster sidewalk cafe. You might see dead chickens everywhere. But I see a whole new line of buster chicken sandwiches at $2.98 each. <laughs> you might have seen two guys stumble out of here in dire need of medical attention. And I say you're right. But I also say when those two guys come back, they're going to be buster hungry. <laughs> so let's get our buster butts back in gear, clean this place up, and get back to buster business. <laughs> This music starts swelling on the soundtrack and everything. And this is actually like a scene that made me laugh where somebody goes, wait, where's that music coming from? And then we find out that it's the limo coming up of, of Mr. Vunk, Lyman Vunk. And, you know, so their goose is cooked or in this case, their chicken is cooked. Um, you know, there is no redemption for these guys. They are not going to team together and become this master burger craftsman type class. But, but yet they still get away with it anyway. Well, you know, the thing that's also funny about that is you were talking about meta. It was smart enough to use that. It was smart enough to use that music coming out of the, out of the limo for that scene. See, so the, the movie is smarter than you think. And then at the same time, you have Zipser who's about ready to have a breakdown because, his whole life is now destroyed because all he ever wanted to do was be a Buster Burger manager. All I ever wanted was to be a Buster Burger manager. Ever since I was that high, it was my dream. And now my dream is gone. It's all turned to shit. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got some pretty low goals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he seems smarter than uh, his goals, you know, which is... I mean, I guess aim low, you're never going to let yourself down. But even somehow that even backfires. <laughs> but we do have the redemption, kind of, in the fried chicken. So we have managed to f- not only fry the chicken, but then come up with the incredible ad slogan of, what is it? It's tasty by God? And of course, it's the nun who says it. And even before that, if you're going to put a shocker device in the yeah, first oh, act. Sure. Oh, yeah. Like the gun, you have to use it in the last act. It's so, Chekhov's uh, fat guy is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, who knew? Who knew that yeah. this was, you know, so much in Russian formalist school? <laughs> <laughs> and apparently by him freaking out, Dick Buck is f- freaking out here and spilling some soda on Vunk that he gets completely demoted down to PPP. PPP, sir? Yes, he will not be, what was it, like the vice president or something. He goes all the way down the ranks. Yeah. And and this is and this of course was like two seconds after he announced that he was going to propose to Mia and and uh Lyman Vunk of course was all excited because he's one of those traditional old school guys. You gotta ask dad if you want to marry the girl. Oh yeah. But now he is forever in servitude as a janitor in this university because he can't get another job. I guess yeah, if you are the, I don't know, drill sergeant at a hamburger university, there's not a lot. That, that's that's a weird bullet point on your resume, right? I don't know I don't know what else you can get. Yeah, if you if you want to see active service, you have to get yourself busted down to private. <laughs> Cuz otherwise he's training the new recruits. Yeah, you're not going to go to Harvard, you know what I mean, and be like, "Oh, well, you know, I taught at Hamburger University for 7 years and and wrote my master's thesis while I was there, all about ketchup. It was published in the New England Journal of Fried Food. That's right. 
go he goes into the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America. Yeah. Yeah. And uh then this leads us to the of course, because it is a comedy and everyone is triumphed over their goals, uh who we like, not the people we don't like. Um the big uh celebratory graduation scene, which includes Magneto Jones finally getting the handcuffs off and uh <laughs> doing another version of the Buster Burger theme song. And this is probably one of my favorite parts, just because of the way that people clap, mm. like they are making hamburger patties. So it was such a stupid thing, but it actually made me laugh. I really like the, the Magneto Jones's version of this song. That's that's a oh, real, yeah, it's rollicking, is what I would call it. Well, I was hoping that Vunk would come on out and be like, you are the new voice yes. of Buster Burger, you know, and then I want to see like the nun billboard with the it's tasty by God and the chicken and all this kind of stuff and hear Magneto Jones singing the theme and, you know, taking America by storm with the newly rebranded Buster Burger. That could have been a great tie in, much like uh, tape heads in the uh, Roscoe's chicken and waffle ad. Exactly. Missed opportunity. <laughs> Luckily, it's the only missed opportunity of this film. Yeah, it's, the, it's the, true. It, it's actually a perfect 10 other than that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I still enjoy it. <laughs> you have nothing to apologize no, about. No, if you saw this film over and over again when you were eight, nine years old... There's nothing wrong with enjoying this film, and I, I can see the validity of it. And this is why I was really excited, is that we're going to take a break and play an interview with the director of Hamburger, the motion picture. We tracked him down, and I was very excited to talk to him, Mike Marvin, after these messages. All right, I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take uh-huh. us to church. Uh, what can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. <laughs> uh, is there anyone's coattails you rode in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, <laughs> horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. Yeah. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a, a, a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one <laughs> That is one star too many. Let me tell you. The worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. Ugh. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. Christopher Media, the Weedsman Podcast. All right, man. It's time. It's time. Are are we ready for the list? The list. So we all made this list earlier. Sit around. Maybe got got a little too high. Well, you know, this list. We we did get too high because we only made half the list. The Weedsman Podcast, every Friday on iTunes and ChristopherMedia.net. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. If you listen to Proudly Resents, the cult movie podcast, you would know how to properly crush a head. Well, let's say you want to crush a head like Toxic Avenger or the famous full head crushing scene. You take a cantaloupe. 
carve out the inside. Then you load what we call loading the cantaloupe. We used to put in hamburger mixed with cranberry sauce, but now because I'm a vegetarian, it's only cranberry and spaghetti and things that are not animal. Then you put a wig on the cantaloupe and paint a little happy face. Bingo. That was Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Films. To hear more interviews and reviews, go to ProudlyResents.com or find Proudly Resents on iTunes and Stitcher. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting enough? I bet you'd love more, right? Well, AdamandEve.com wants to give you more with 10 free gifts. First, you'll get a sexy surprise for her. Second, a specially selected toy for him. And third, a little something we know you'll both enjoy. Plus, you'll get six full-length adult movies on DVD. And number 10, free shipping on your entire order. So what do you have to do to get your 10 free gifts? It's not hard. Just go to adamandeve.com and select any one item. It could be an adventurous new toy, sexy piece of lingerie, or anything you desire. Just enter offer code BOOTH at checkout, and you'll get all 10 free gifts. Go check out adamandeve.com today. Select one item and get 10 free gifts, including free shipping, when you enter offer code BOOTH. That's B. O-O-T-H at adamandeve.com Movies need only three things. Badasses. You tell me who you want done, and I'll do the hell out of it. A chick with drive who don't take no jive. Boobs. Do you know that the female breast known to be the source of life since Eve can be deadly weapons and body counts Body Count The Mathematics of Murder and Menace The BBNBC Podcast discusses lesser-known action, exploitation, and horror cult cinema. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and SoundCloud by searching for BBNBC Podcast. You can also listen to each episode directly on the show's website at badassesboobsandbodycounts.com Got the goddamn message? Let's go to work. How did you get into the film business? Well, I started off in uh, making, I, I was uh, raised in, I grew up on the west shore of Lake Tahoe, and I started off by making ski movies, and I got really, I had a really a good run making ski movies, and one, the very first ski movie I ever made 
featured this ski sequence off of El Capitan that eventually was used in the Bond movie, The Spy Who Loved Me. So that kicked off my career, and that was in 1972. And that those movies are kind of... I did four movies between 72 and 76. They were all feature movies that I wrote, produced, directed, and and eventually distributed and uh, you know it was that's how I really got into it and then when I did the movie Hot Dog what I did is I uh, with Hot Dog is I um, transferred all my adventures of making ski movies into a, a character who was actually competing so that's how I got into it but I had uh, I was writing while I was making ski movies I was spending a lot of time on long airplane flights from here to the East Coast or from um, to Europe. And I started writing on those long plane rides. And out of that, I wrote myself into the Hollywood uh, movie biz. And one of the, I sold my first, first uh, screenplay I sold and, and I was very fortunate in that regard. So that's how I got in. I mean, I got into the movie business, you know, I shotgunned my way in. So I was cameraman, director, you know, producer and writer. What was that film that, um, or the script that you sold that got you in there? It was, uh, entitled six pack. It was Kenny Rogers when he was at the peak of his career kind of like, you know, one of these, kind of like Keith Urban or somebody today, but Kenny Rogers was gigantic at one time, and and I wrote a script based on my adventures uh, racing, working as a gopher on our car racing crew, and it was called Six Pack, and I sold it to 20th Century Fox, and they made the picture with uh, Kenny Rogers. I actually next, saw that yeah. in the theater. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And I, uh, that was Diane Lane was in that movie. There were a few guys in that movie, uh, Kennedy Rogers, obviously. And, you know, it did pretty well. And, uh, but that was just one thing. I uh, found a little novella written by a guy named Jim Harrison. I was flying to a, do some work on a ski thing, and I was bored out of my skull and uh, on the floor of this, this, Plane, this machine that was passing for a plane, I was saw uh, some newsprint, picked it up, and I read this little short story, a novella. Actually, it took me about an hour. It was entitled Legends of the Fall. And I got off the plane and I called uh, the guys at MGM and I said, This is the, one of the great American adventures. And I ended up. Uh, working on that for about three years. I wrote all the original drafts for Legends of the Fall uh, as screenplay. This was in uh, uh, 79 and 80. So I was the one who brought Legends of the Fall to Hollywood. And the other, in, and in doing that, I brought the story Revenge, also by Jim Harrison, that Kevin Costner star, star, starred in. Which I also saw in the theater. Yeah, it's funny because people don't remember Revenge at all, but it was I always thought it was a great movie. It was Anthony Quinn was in that too? Anthony Quinn, Kevin Costner, um the pretty brunette, what's her name? Yeah, you know who I'm you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, it's been a long time. And that one kind of <laughs> got overshadowed by The Bodyguard if memory serves. 
Madeline Stowe was was the female lead in that. I think Tony Scott directed the picture. So how did you kind of come to Hot Dog the Movie? Was this kind of a culmination of your ski films? Yeah, well, what happened with Hot Dog the Movie, which is now really a true cult movie, there's only a few cult movies in Hollywood, and Hot Dog is one of them. Um, it, uh, I was having dinner one night at Tahoe just with my friend Ed Feldman, and um, I was telling him about my adventures making ski movies and all the crazy stuff that happened to me. And, and he said, you know, you need to take those stories, but not as a ski filmmaker, but as a guy who's competing. And all those things that happen to you and that you experience – put him into the, uh, a movie, you know, about a guy skiing. And that's what I did. And that's how Hot Dog came about. And we made Hot Dog for $2.5 million. And it's brought back about 35 or 40 And it's, it's a true cult classic. I went three weeks ago, I went to a 30-year cast and crew reunion and over 1,000 people showed up, all dressed as Hot Dog from the movie. It was incredible. It was insane. I'm, I'm since I moved from Detroit to Aspen, obviously one of the big ski areas. They screened Hot Dog just this past winter for a bunch of folks here in town. So it's still. Oh, so you're, uh, wow. So you're calling me from Aspen? Yep. I used to uh, sing with John Denver, and uh, I had a home on an old Snowmass Creek. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, if you were into uh, anything related to skiing, at some point you were going to end up here. <laughs> yeah, we came to. I came to Aspen the first when we did the first movie was called Earth Rider, and we filmed it in. We filmed a big chunk of it in Aspen in the winter of '72, and it, Aspen was still part of the past and going the transition from the old ski mining town into what it eventually became, which is not too recognizable to what I, you know, my experience of it. But if you're there now, it's got to be really nice for you. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's a little bit of a change from Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Wow. <laughs> but um, sort of talking about the ski uh, sequences and yeah. stuff like that, um, I also heard that you did the ski sequences in Better Off Dead. Is that true? I did. I directed them, all of them. And, uh, yeah, I did. And that's that movie is... Um, I mean, with a little luck, that movie could end up kind of culty, too. Steve Holland was, that was always a strange little movie, but um, yeah, I directed all the ski sequences now. And that was because you were known from the previous work you had done, or? Well, yeah, the, uh, they, we did that, I think it, it was in the winter of 84 or something like that, I forget. Exactly. But yeah, because Hot Dog was such a success. I mean, the ski sequences in Hot Dog are, you know, they're there. I, I noticed when I saw them uh, in Squaw Valley three weeks ago, you know, they're they've they're very timeless. The way I shot those, um, they're not extreme and mind blowing sequences, but they're very clean and and beautiful and have a lot of movement to them. And there are some, for their day, there's some pretty cool stuff, not to mention the Chinese downhill that culminate, that the movie ends in this big explosive thing. And what, you know, the Chinese downhill evolved into an Olympic gold medal sport called ski cross. So 
Um, it's an interesting. It's interesting. There's not many gold medal sports that evolved out of you know B movies, which Hot Dog was. You can't go anywhere and say, well, you know, we have a where well, th- javelins evolved out of a B movie in 1922. You know what I mean? When, when it came to your interest in skiing and stuff like that and, and making ski film, was it Warren Miller or was it someone else that you were interested in in that way that got you to do it? What happened is, is I had been singing, doing the folk music thing for about five or six, about eight years. I come out of a, my adopted father was Nick Reynolds, who was an original member of the Kingston Trio. Hence, that's how I met John Denver and all that stuff. Um, and... Um, you know, the it, it evolved uh, out of, I, I, we were at Tahoe, and we went over to a club on the in a place called King's Beach, and they were screening some ski movies there one night. We had a couple of beers. We went in there. I was with a guy named Bob Stokes and another guy named Dick Tash. We saw this ski movie called The Performers and, by Dick Barrymore, and... When I walked out, I said, to, turned to Stokes and I said, what do you think? Do you think we could outdo these guys, do a better ski movie than these guys? And Stokes turned to me and he said, absolutely. So we embarked on a two-year program to make our first movie, which was Earthrider, which featured the ski parachute jump off of El Capitan, which became world famous. So that's how it happened. I, I, trans, I went from, I sat my guitar down then for 40 years and uh, before I really picked it up again professionally, which I just did. The, the movie that we're focusing on in this episode is, is Hamburger, and I was wondering if there was a reason okay. it was named that as it was supposed to be some sort of follow-up to Hot Dog, at least in terms of title. What happened, that the Hamburger story is real simple. Ed Feldman attributed the success of Hot Dog to the title. He didn't think that it had anything to do with the idea that we had made the greatest ski movie in history or that we had done anything special. He just thought it was the title. And he figured that the title would transfer. Well, if we did uh, Hamburger, Where's the Bee? It was, it was loosely based on that commercial. I can't remember her last name, but remember she said, Where's the Beef? Remember those commercials? Oh, yeah. So Ed wanted to do a comedy based on that. And what happened was, on Hamburger, what happened was, Ed went ahead, he didn't involve me in the movie at all. I was not involved in the casting, I was not involved in the uh, production design, nothing. What happened is, Ed was shooting uh, Hamburger, and he was into it about seven days, and he called me up, and he said, I'm in trouble on this movie, he said. Uh, I'm going to fire the director. Do you want to step in and take over the movie? And I said, send me over the script. And so he sent me over the script. I read, uh, I don't know, I read about 50 or 60 pages that night. And I, ha- I reported for the, to the set the following morning at 6.30. And I took over directing the movie. I reshot most of the sequences the original director did. And... I it was a ad lib. I stepped on and did the movie with no preparation whatsoever. I just walked on set and started directing, and it was my first directing assignment in my life. 
that's how Hamburger came to be. Do you happen to know who that guy was and why he got released from the film? And Yeah, his name was Lawrence Bender. And um, not the same Lawrence Bender, I don't think, who produced uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie um, Pulp Fiction. Um, it was another Lawrence Bender. I- I'm pretty sure that was his name. And... Uh, yeah, it was his. He had spent a lot of time uh, getting this movie set up, and and I don't know. You know, comedy is a strange thing. You got to go in there, and people are either respond to you or they don't, and and you got to make things so they're funny. And 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 what happened is he he struggled through his first week. And Ed was a seasoned producer, and Ed realized he was in big trouble. And I had, with Hot Dog, I had stepped in and and taken the movie from the original director, who had delivered a very, very poor uh, director's cut, and I recut the movie Hot Dog. So Ed figured that if I stepped in, I might be able to save his movie, Hamburger. Um, but it was not really savable. It was... It was what it, you know, I did the best I could do with no prep. I mean, I don't know how many guys in the movie business could step in. You get a call on Thursday night and then show up on set on Friday at 6 in the morning without even finishing the script. That's what happened. Well, I think given that, I mean, it really is even more impressive to my mind because I think it works very well as a comedy and... You know, a, a very kind of uh, cartoony way at times, but but cartoony in a good way. Yeah, cartoony in a good way. There was no bad intentions on on Hamburger. I mean, I tried. If Ed would have let me really loose, it would have been more. He curbed me back. I had a lot of outrageous ideas that were more Todd Phillips like. You know, did you ever see Road Trip or you know Hangover? I had I was going leaning in that direction much much stronger and Ed kept pulling me back pulling me back and pulling me back. Um, also, there, it was a time, you know, when those kinds of mo- there was a ton of competition for those kinds of movies at that time, and Hamburger had to measure up with those. I think it, Hamburger measures up better in hindsight now you look at the movie and you go, well, you know, it's, it's actually pretty good or it's pretty funny. And, you know, I used to say, people would say, what does it get on a scale of one to 10? It gets an S for stupid, but I meant that in a fun way, you know? I mean, to me, it's one of the smarter sex comedies of the eighties, as you were saying, because a lot of these, I think, owe a debt to like Porky's came out. And then there was like a whole bunch of these like gang of guys, sex comedies that sort of started to appear in the eighties. I think you're right about that. I mean, it was hard for me to direct a lot of that stuff because I had never, I had never directed any nudity. I mean, I didn't know anything. What you were, I didn't know what you were supposed to do. I just walked out on set and I did the best I could. You know what I mean? I just did the best I could, and uh, you know, I saw the movie a few years ago at a screening in L.A. They had a uh, uh, very interesting, um, 
you know, retro screening thing. And it was kind of fun to see it like that because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't seen the movie in many years. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of people and they were all laughing at it and I was, and laughing at it as well as with it. So I'm always surprised by this. I'm always a little bit surprised by these things. I never set out to make movies that had longevity, and I've been involved with, you know, my movie The Wraith is another one that seems to be hanging in there, and it's 27 years ago. So when you got there, how much of the script, um, did you change anything that was given to you? Did you work on it as you went, or was pretty much what you were given ended up exactly as it was sort of on the screen? I would say... 20% 20% of the screen stuff, I allowed the actors to ad-lib. We did a lot of ad-libbing, goofing around, trying to make things funny. Um, <clears throat> the script, you know, I had a script. I had to stick to it. Um, I tried doing some really outrageous... I had a... For example, I had a scene where all the kids are marching by, and I had him... There, I shot it two ways. I shot it with with all the kids walking by, goose stepping like Nazi uh, stormtroopers in Berlin and in, in Nuremberg in 1934. And I remember Ed said, "That's going too far," and he he made me cut it out of the movie. And, you know, I had a few outrageous things like that cooking. And, no pun intended, and uh, and you know I had to scale back on some of it. Um, so yeah, I mean you know about I'd say about fifteen percent of the movie was ad libbed. The rest of it was pretty much as it was written. I I sometimes we'd sit down in the morning and rewrite things, but uh, the fundamental construction of the movie I didn't mess with too much. I'm, you know, it's like that's too hard. You can write, you can write yourself into a trap if you do that, that you can't get out of. So, I didn't do any major reconstruction of the script, just dialogue and you know moments that I punched up. One of the things that I got when I watched it, and I didn't know it as a kid when I first saw it, was the actual hamburger university the McDonald's has for their trainees for their management and I was wondering how much of that like did you know about that or how much did the writer know about that when it came to creating this fictional university it was completely and totally made up we didn't know anything well that's one thing we didn't they they didn't know anything about and I didn't know anything about I think that those the, the fame of those things came well after we did hamburger I mean, we we just made it up. It was just, it was a total made up thing. So, so you get there like you read the script like twelve hours before. You show up at six thirty in the morning, and you have your cast in front of you. And just wanted to ask you about some of the people who were in the cast and how they were to yeah. work with for you. I mean, obviously they had already been dealing with one director, and now here's another guy. Um, I mean, your lead, Lee McCluskey. Can you kind of talk about Lee and sort of what sure. you did? Well, when I showed up. I, I mean, honestly, I remember the first day vividly, the first morning, everybody, everybody 
was terrified. The director had been fired the night before. Um, the producers were all there. The investors were present. Um, the entire cast was there. Even people who were not on the call sheet that day were there. And I set up my first shot. I introduced myself to everybody and everybody seemed to understand and get behind me in the sense that, you know, they were, they were very, everybody was really supportive of me on that. Everybody was, and it was really hard to do. I'm not kidding. I've directed a lot of movies since then. And, you know, just stepping cold onto a set with a cast you didn't create in a production design you had nothing to do with. I had a, uh, I had, they assigned a camera woman, cameraman to me who was a woman, a female, and I didn't know what the rules were in terms of how long it should take to light. And I remember, you know, being almost immediately in conflict with her over the lighting. And um, so there were a lot of strange issues that happened on that. But everybody was very, as I say, everybody was really supportive of me. And, and so that's that. As far as Lee goes, he was coming off of some big series. I forget what it was. And he was very, very nice. I liked everybody on the cast were great, I have to say. I've worked on movies where everybody in the cast was not great. I've worked on movies where, you know, people were people on the actors were true monsters. But on this movie, everybody stepped up to the plate and and Lee was their leader in a way. And he he was great. And we became friends and you know, and we got through that movie and and I say got through because that's what it was when you step in and take over for a guy. Um, you know, that's what happened. And he was great. Lee was great. Jack Blessing, he was great. Um, you know, everybody was. You don't often think of, I mean, it seems like more now you see it, but um, at the time, you know, a lot of sports guys transitioning to acting. And I have to say, Dick Butkus does a really nice job in here. What was it like working with him? He was, Butkus is a funny guy. And I mean, comedic guy just on the natch. Um, We, I got to know him during that period quite well. Um, Of course, he, he was the star of the movie. And, um, I got, you know, he was great to work with and I was curious about, you know, I, I was a big, uh, football fan, mostly San Francisco 49ers since I was a kid, because some of the 49ers, when I was a kid, bought a house next to mine in Tahoe. So I, I met Billy Wilson and Hugh McElhinney and Y.A. Tittle and all these guys. So I had some kind of, I had a vague connection to the NFL. So when I met Butkus, we had some common ground. He did know some of those guys fairly well that I had grown up with at Tahoe. And um, so we we hit it off well. And, you know, we tried all kinds of different things and tried every moment in the movie. We tried to make it funny in some way, shape, or form. And Butkus was great. To, I, I mean, you know, he was great. I haven't seen him in a I ran into him um, 
in a restaurant a few years ago, but I haven't seen him in a long time. Not sure where he is now. The other member of the cast who, you know, one of these character actors you see all the time and people go, ah, I don't know that guy's name is Charles Tyner who plays Charles Tyner. Yeah. Yeah. And um, those lectures are really something to behold with him giving all the catchphrases and whatnot and was just wondering about um, Charles Tyner and maybe also about those lectures as well that you shot in the film. Charles is, uh, he died, did he not? I think he's, I think he passed. Yeah, he passed away a few years ago. Yeah. um, Charles was, he he, he was an old pro. I mean, he, he was an old pro. So he would show up. Uh, prepared and um, do his thing and then go back to his trailer. And what I remember uh, the most is uh, the other cat about halfway through the movie and halfway through Charles, all of, I remember the cast coming to me as we got to be closer and closer as friends. They said, you got to come with us. I said, why? And we went out to the trailers and, and Charles Tyner was in by his, by himself in his trailer and this was before cell phones mind you and so he wasn't on the cell phone but he was having a very very intense conversation with nobody and that was my my really strongest remembrance of Charles as he was in his trailer talking like he was having a major conversation but nobody was there he was by himself talking so he had his own Harvey sitting in this corner of his trailer he communicated with. And the crew and the cast were fascinated by that, and they wanted me to hear it. Were they scared? Or <laughs> no, 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 it's just, you know, it was odd, you know. It was just, that's just one of those stories you would never hear in life, you know. It was like, it was just one of those things, yeah. He was a good, Charles was good, and... um and again, he was supportive too because you know the fired director. What are you going to do? And he he helped. He he was there for me, so I liked him. The the catchphrases are the things that I remember that after my friends and I saw this film, we would constantly quote. You know, um, we reserve the right to refuse service to assholes like you and and things like that yeah. that he gives in these lectures and. Was that in the original script, or was that something that came out of ad libs, or some of it was ad uh, this that we reserved the right came uh, when that was in the script, and and I took some heat on the there was another one where um, they all the people the, a little girl re, a little tiny girl year and a half year I don't know how old was she about a year and a half I guess year and a half she reaches for some cookies. And they, everybody in the cast says, "Put those down, motherfucker." And it was my daughter, and I took some real heat from the social workers on set and everything for for putting her there. But what they don't understand is, what they didn't understand is that she wasn't. They didn't say that to her. I cut to them. And the social workers heard it off stage and came in and said, you can't put your daughter in a situation like that. You can't put a minor in there. I remember it like it, there was this whole episode on set. But that was one of them, too. But there were a few like that on, uh, in the movie. I don't, have, I don't have my notes in front of me. 
on that, but I know that there were there were some others that for some reason they're not jumping in, jumping into my head right now. You probably have them in your notes. Yeah, I probably have them all memorized because I used to watch this thing on almost a perpetual loop on VHS when I was a kid. <laughs> the uh, the other thing is uh, there's two songs specifically written for the film, and did you have a hand in those, or do you know who put those together, lyrics, music-wise? Because there's the opening, which is Hamburgers for America, and then there's the Buster Burger theme that runs throughout the film. Um, well, the... <clears throat> The, I wanted to use Jimmy Buffett's a cheeseburger in paradise. And, um, you know, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember who, um, I think it was Peter Bernstein who wrote the song and did it. I can't remember to be honest with you about that. I wish I could. Uh, the Buster Burger theme also, I believe was was um, uh, Peter Bernstein, who did Hot Dog. I was just wondering about the lyrics. Do you know that that was um, was something that was written by the the guy who wrote the script, or was that you know done by? No, the no, no, no. Uh, that was that. that no, that was uh, Peter Bernstein and the same guy who wrote on the the same guy who wrote the theme on Hot Dog. They did it. It was the same guys. According to the notes here, it said uh, Buster Burger theme composed, produced by Tom Wells. Hmm. And then the other one said Jack Turner, composed by Jack Turner, sung by Bill Mueller. Hmm. Then I'm totally, yeah. then I'm totally wrong. That's, then I'm totally wrong. Yeah, that that's the internet. Yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. You never know with the internet. No, no, it could be. I, I you know, you, you. That's a good, good question because I don't, I don't remember to be honest with you. I can't remember that. That yeah, that's fine. Just a small, small thing. The um, the, the various locations. Uh, do you remember where the university set was? The yes, it was out. Yeah, it was out at um, College of the Canyons, out in uh, north of Los Angeles. Yeah, College of the Canyons. We shot it out there. Most of it was out there, and then we shot the Buster Burger stand. Was a I want to say it was a Taco Bell or an Arby's that we that they had rented for four months and uh, yeah, they had rented it for four or five months and they fixed it all up and they made it, they made it, um, they made it work and, and it did work. So it actually had like a running kitchen in the back. It had, it was completely set up. Yeah. It was completely set up. And then you guys go ahead and destroy it. So were there any issues? Yeah, we destroyed it completely. That that was for real when that car blasted in. I had several cameras on that, and one of those cameras, listen to this, one of those cameras, that truck hit the camera and sheared the magazine off. It was an Aeroflex, sheared it off, and that, that magazine flew 150 feet like a football across a parking lot just crashing and smashing to pieces and I ran over and I grabbed it I threw a, 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 a jacket around it and I turned to the camera guys and I said whatever you do do not take this jacket around off this this um, uh, magazine take it straight into Technicolor 
and have them downloaded in a black room. And that's exactly what they did. And the money shot in that crash was that shot. Had they opened it up and changed it, they might have exposed all the film. That's awesome. I love stories like that. That was one of the that was one of those moments that like you go, Wow. Yeah, definitely. You know, when the film was completed, what do you remember about any premiere or the reaction once it was done? Yeah, we Ed Feldman and I we screened the picture at Paramount Pictures before a um recruited audience. It was called an O'Farrell screening. And generally people responded to the movie. They didn't like the movie. And, um, you know, it was a recruited audience and they probably should have, um, they probably shouldn't have done that kind of a, um, kind of a, that kind of an audience. And so it didn't, it didn't, um, go over well. And I remember how disappointed Ed was at that screening, but there was something else. There was another little uh, moment, and when when I was doing the movie, this guy showed up on set and as a almost as an extra security guard, and he was so good, so weird. His name was John Lovitz, and I said to him, I said to him as he was leaving the set that night. I said, you know what, John? He turns to me and he says, what? And I said, I think you're going to be a big star. And he says, man, I hope so. And he did. He, he became a big star. I asked him about that recently, and he says, man, I don't remember that. And I said, I do. It's only been out on VHS, Hamburger the Motion Picture. Yeah. And I was wondering, um, you know, do you think it'll see DVD or streaming? And if there's anything that's holding it back from happening? Well, I can tell you that I tried to get it. If I could have gotten it as a 35 millimeter print, I would have definitely tried to, uh, you know, transfer it digitally. But I don't know. I don't even think Ed knows. Ed Feldman, I'm having lunch with him on Wednesday. I don't think he even knows if there is a, a 35 millimeter print in existence. I think the guys in Austin, Texas, have a 35 millimeter print, but I don't know. I don't know. That's yeah. I don't know. So you mean in Austin? You mean the Alamo Draft House guys, or is there? Yeah, you know, yeah, the the famous one, those guys that have that cool, you know, that do all the retro movies and all that stuff. I think that they know where there's a print. They've asked me to come down there a few times. I, we've never put it together, but tried you think that might happen someday i would do it if they if they if they got a print i i would definitely go down there and do it absolutely all right i will put the word out to zach and tim and whoever else i know from down there zach he's the guy if you know him to ask him to hit me with an email he's we've lost contact but i told him i'd come all right yeah, just before we move on, though, I mean, I, it's always sad to hear these stories of, you know, films that get made. And, I mean, I understand at that time there was a lot of product. I mean, stuff was ephemeral. I mean, people were making stuff and turning it over. But it's right. it's sad to me to hear people go, yeah, I don't know where my negative is. I don't know where my prints are. Yeah, well, I tried to get that one because there were scenes in the movie I wanted for my director's reel. I mean, that crash was one. And there were other scenes in it that were really 
you know, politically incorrect that I wanted. And <laughs> I will say that, that we ad-libbed the, you know, Bob Miner and I ad-libbed some pretty in politically incorrect racial stuff that we thought would be a, really offensive. And, um, and, you know, it was funny because here's this African-American guy and this white boy cooking up shit meant to get everybody crazy. We're doing it on purpose. It was like, it was like, oh yeah, let's, I said, Bob, what do you think? Let's, let's, what do you think? He says, I have to, I'll think of some good stuff. And we were thinking of just some nasty racial stuff. And we were trying to just be as offensive as possible. And it, you know, kind of worked and kind of got us in trouble too. Of course, I'd take the heat for it, not him. He was like, he's like that famous scene in Papillon when, when Steve McQueen tries to duck out of being the reason for, uh, anyway, that, that's what kind of happened with me on that. Welcome back to the Projection Booth. This week we're talking about Hamburger, the motion picture. So, Steve, you covered this on the, I think it was like your Memorial Day Hamburgers and Hot Dogs double feature. So you have seen Hot Dog, the motion picture. Not necessarily a prequel to Hamburger, is that what I'm led to believe here? No, but there's enough to think that it might be a shared Avengers universe, possibly, because uh, Fred Domino's in it, actually. He plays some sort of a sleazy... Uh, wet t-shirt guy, uh, like uh, an MC, which I think is possibly the lowest job in America. Um, he, uh, he, he doesn't play the same character. So it's kind of like a stable of actors. I don't know if it's a shared writer or if the, uh, there is a shared director. Well, it's a shared writer. Okay, yeah, so yeah. Mike, Mike Marvin wrote hot dog and he directed hamburger as he told us in the interview. So there's a connection and the only reason why Hamburger the Motion Picture was called Hamburger was to possibly take some of the cheddar from Hot Dog because Hot Dog for a little independent film did pretty well. And it didn't, not many hot, well, that's the interesting thing is like you, you, you take this one thing where it's Hot Dog in, in terms of skiing and in terms of like being a cool dude. And it's like, well, the next time we're just literally going to do a movie about hamburgers. That's it. Like it's going to be top to bottom hamburgers, hamburgers, hamburgers. Sadly, I haven't been able to talk to folks in where I live now into uh, a revival of hamburger, the motion picture. But last winter they did screen hot dog because I do live in a ski town. So, and they're uh, big fans of that little cult film. Which is more popular there, hot dog or Aspen extreme? Well, Aspen Extreme is legendary uh, because it has the name <laughs> in the title and was shot here. Uh, Hot Dog was not shot here. So, um, but I think I've had more people reference Aspen Extreme than Hot Dog to me. But then again, I'm also partial to Aspen Extreme because it's uh, guys who come from Detroit who moved to Aspen. Oh, so it's kind of your life story. Yeah, except I don't ski, so um, it's it's not. <laughs> <laughs> if it was, I moved to Aspen not to ski. That would be the uh, the film. There you go. Nothing against skiing. I'm just saying. I just can't do it. So there aren't a lot of hot dogs in Hot Dog the movie. No, no. It's it's, it's all about hot dogging it down down the slopes and not doing cocaine. I mean, actually skiing. Uh, so that's funny. I, I see connections between this and Better Off Dead because there's the 
the ski stuff that goes on in Better Off Dead, and then there's also the uh, hamburger scene that happens in that film. Well, Better Off Dead is that that quintessential '80s absurdist kind of buddy, like teen comedy. You know what I mean? Like that, and that does it pretty, really, really well. And you do have your 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 fast food uh, hamburger scene there too. Yeah, just the one, but it's so memorable. I mean, it's funny because <laughs> I I don't know what this says about me. But like years later, when I was listening to the radio and that Van Halen song came on, I was like, oh, it's that song from Better Off Dead. <laughs> I, had, I had never heard it before. That, and I'd only associated it with, with the singing hamburger. So I never knew really. I kind of figured it out over the years while I was watching that it sounded like David Lee Roth, but I really didn't know it was a Van Halen song. I didn't know I could go out and buy that song on cassette. Yes. Yes. Yes! The whole hamburger hot dog thing, and as we've already mentioned, hot dog really has nothing to do with fast food. It has everything to do with skiing. Anyway, made me think about other fast food films. And uh, one I referenced uh, before the interview, Poultry Geist Night of the Chicken Dead is probably the only film I can think of that's mostly set inside of a fast food restaurant, which is Lloyd Kaufman's Ode to... uh, All the fun of uh, working in fast food, of course, with um, zombies and, um, you know, putting your restaurant on top of a um, ancient Indian burial ground. So did they move the headstones, but they didn't move the bodies? Pretty much. Yeah. And then, you know, it just becomes uh, a lot of fun. I I really like Poultry Geist. I think that Lloyd's stuff just seems to be getting better and better. And I would say that uh, the latest thing he's put out, which is uh, Return to Newcomb High, Volume 1 is probably uh, the best film that he's done in years. It's just amazing. And uh, But then again, I'm biased because I absolutely love the guy. I haven't seen Poltergeist, and I'm trying to think of other movies where it takes place mostly in the restaurant, but I'm mostly thinking of, of just scenes, you know, like um, uh, Fast Times at Richmond High and the whole learn it, love it, live it kind of, you know, the rules and uh, and how the fast food restaurant kind of plays in there. And then like coming to America, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, uh, there's that weird Paul Reiser movie, Bye Bye Love, which is a, a huge McDonald's commercial, uh, as is uh, House Guest, which is, it, it's all, House Guest is Sinbad acting as if, like, Bugs Bunny with carrots with McDonald's. Like, that's his, like, big heart over his head, is, like, always wanting to get this delicious, beloved McDonald's, which for a young fat kid, I could totally understand as a kid. I bet you Sinbad can sell a burger pretty good. <laughs> What about Mac and Me? Wasn't that a big commercial? I can't remember because all I've seen is just clips from it that people have put on uh, YouTube. But I've never actually watched the whole movie. Steve, you guys covered one about there was like Wendy's. Oh, it was a date with an angel and all the Wendy's hamburgers. Yes, that's that's another one where I think Wendy's wanted to get into that game. And like, you know, where Mac and Me was an alien. The You know, they were like, well, Wendy's is going to front a movie for a bodacious angel, which is the same thing as an alien, only much, much weirder. And it was the French fries was the whole thing. Yes. And that was her, like, you know, her breadcrumbs, essentially. Her, her Reese's pieces. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'll always have diabetes. Diabetes. (laughs) 
Well, I hear that's very popular. <laughs> and then, like, Tammy has some fast food stuff in it. And, of course, Beavis and Butthead. But I swear there's got to be some more rest, uh, restaurant movies. Clerks 2 is all in the Clerks fast food. Oh, that's right. They have that whole brand and everything. Yeah. yeah. In the Universe. Yeah. It makes me sad that I even know what that is and <laughs> that I said the word. I feel dirty now. I feel dirtier than if I was at a passive orgy. <laughs> no, you don't feel dirty at a passive orgy. You're just kind of hanging out. Okay. That's, that's the beauty of it. You're not involved, but you're involved. You're just blasé. So you're just blasé. You don't care either way at a passive orgy. <laughs> exactly. My white terry cloth robe stays clean. <laughs> yeah, you definitely do have to be wearing a robe, though, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be an orgy guy. Have to buy <laughs> robes and lotions, grow a mustache. I need to have new or- new friends, orgy friends. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Mystic Pizza, so I don't know if this is like a, a if Mystic Pizza was a direct remake or just inspired by Hamburger the Motion Picture. <laughs> yes, uh, with Julia Roberts as the fat guy character, which was a, a yes. surprising turn. Which was odd, yeah, because D'Onofrio was in there, but he was all svelte at the time. <laughs> he then bulked up to play uh, Prestopopnik in the remake of Hamburger the Motion Picture, but then it got canceled. That's what happened to him. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. But then he got then he uh, did... put in but then he got put in full metal jacket instead. So, you know, his <laughs> career could have taken another turn. <laughs> well, I would like to see, you know how like we uh, Americans love to remake like the big comedies, you know, Three Men and a Little uh, and, and a Baby, you know, or like these these French movies. It'd be great to see it go the other way, like where French people are remaking Hamburger the Motion Picture and trying to wrap their hands around that. I would love to see that. I would love that or like a Bollywood remake of it where they break into song every 15 minutes. It would, it would I don't be think cold. you could do Bollywood. No, probably not because of the sacred cow. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one region that will not get hamburger in the motion picture. Yeah. 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 It was banned at theaters from what I understand. Yeah. It's considered <laughs> pornographic in uh, India. It's amazing. <laughs> Bootleg copies sell under the counter. But I was thinking of the like arty French remake. It would be called fondue, the motion picture. And it would be set in a chain of fondue restaurants. There have been those like upper crusty kind of cooking films lately, like Chef. And there was that one with like Aaron Eckhart, right? Where they're like competing chefs now and stuff. It's kind of like taking the food porn from, uh, from uh, Food Network and Bravo and stuff and putting those in movies, I think. Well, before all that, my favorite was Big Night. I really liked Big Oh, yeah. Stanley Tucci film, yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, that movie, that would make you hungry every time you watched it. Have you guys, speaking of making you hungry, have you ever seen Jiro Dreams of Sushi? Yes. No. Oh, Steve, you got to check this movie out, especially if you like sushi at all, like have even ever had just one piece and you're like, yeah, it was pretty good. This movie will make you so hungry for sushi. It just, and more than that, it is just such a great documentary. I mean, I don't know if you agree with me, Rob, but I loved it. Yeah, it's great. I would say that possible um, triple feature with Hamburger the Motion Picture would be uh, one documentary, of course, uh, Super Size Me and uh, Fast Food Nation. Oh, yeah. yeah. My two big uh, makes you hungry movies are, are Goodfellas. I have to eat Italian food if I'm. What, like I need like lasagna the next whilst I'm eating Goodfellas or else I'm screwed. And uh, Albert Brooks is defending your life. Oh yeah. That's- Do you have the razor blade and you chop the garlic so thin that it dissolves in the pan? <laughs> yes, I nice. do not. I- I'm Italian from New York, but my, my mother never did that, unfortunately. 
Oh, yeah. Well, if she was in prison, she would have learned to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, she went to prison. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just just didn't hone up on her cooking skills there, huh? <laughs> I don't want to go any farther with that train of thought. Well, one thing one thing we can definitely say is that Mr. Marvin will be back for our episode on the Wraith after the first of the year. So that's exciting. Yeah. If I uh, try to we're trying to get other folks for the Wraith here, and um, I actually got an email from Randy Quaid's wife just the other day. So I don't know if Mr. Quaid will be on the show, but um, she answered my email quite uh, quickly. Uh, but unfortunately, it was just kind of like randomish type stuff, and that Randy enjoyed being in the movie, but no addressing of my interview request whatsoever. So, well, Did she start the email with, are you a cop? No, no, surprisingly. But she did send along a picture of Randy Quaid with like a, a dog or something. I, I'll have to look it up. It's it, it, even though it was just the other day, it's uh, it's already left left my mind. But let me see. I'll open it right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's a picture of. It looks like Randy Quaid wearing a a mask with a huge beard and huge head of hair and a dog with horns on it and like a safety jacket on. So I'm not sure necessarily what that has to do with, uh, with the Wraith or ice harvest, but it's there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're hoping, we're hoping, you know, that would be a major get. That would be huge. That or Charlie Sheen or Sherilyn Fenn, you know, hoping to play that Michigan connection. Nope. Not yet. Or the one that I really want is Clint Howard. Well, when you when you look at that cast and you say that Clint Howard is the most sane out of all of them, that's really <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't have said that in nineteen eighty something. No. I like how the projection booth we can get William Friedkin and Peter Bogdanovich, but we can't get Clint Howard. <laughs> oh, you're not touching what that. What does guy that say people? about us? <laughs> something is very wrong with this. We're gonna take another break and play a preview for next week's show. At the dawn of the 21st century, the Army began a top-secret experiment. Meet Joe Bowers, our first subject for the human hibernation experiment. As you know, this is highly classified. However, if successful, we believe humans can be stored indefinitely. However, the trial run was prone to human error. See you in a year. And Joe slept slightly longer than expected. Half a millennium, to be exact. From Mike Judge, creator of Office Space and Beavis and Butthead. Oh, my God! If you were the smartest person in the world... This goes in your mouth. This one goes in your butt. Hang on a second. This one, this one goes in your mouth. And we're stuck with the dumbest people in history. If you have one bucket that holds two gallons and another bucket that holds five gallons, how many buckets do you have? Two? What would you do? Excuse me, um, I'm actually supposed to be getting out of prison. You're in the wrong line. I'm the smartest guy in the world? Says who? The IQ test you took in prison. You got the highest score in history. You've been smarter than President Camacho. Ladies and gentlemen, the prisoner of America. In the year 2505. We got this guy. He's going to fix everything. So you smart, huh? The ordinary will be considered extraordinary. I thought you here would be bigger. Idiocracy. For the smartest guy in the world, you're pretty dumb sometimes. 
That's right. We're talking about another of my favorite films, Idiocracy. So don't be a dick and join us as we get loaded on Brondo, the thirst mutilator, and we chat with the star Luke Wilson of Mike Judge's Devolution satire, where he talks about that film and, of course, working with Wes Anderson and much, much more. So don't miss it. But before we go, I want to thank this week's special guest co-host, Stephen Sadick of We Hate Movies, a film podcast that's a lot of fun. Mike and I are both huge fans, so uh, you should check it out. And uh, what's the latest on the show over there for you, sir? Uh, yeah, I, we've got a lot. We just uh, wrapped an episode on Hand That Rocks the Cradle. We're getting really excited because we're going into uncharted territory. On December 9th, we're going to do a movie we've never even seen. We already announced that we're going to do Jingle All the Way 2 with Larry Ca- the Cable Guy. We've, we've never just pre-eyeballed a movie and said, yeah, that's an episode. But we're kind of backing ourselves into a corner and announcing that we're going to do it no matter what. And it kind of coincides with the four-year anniversary of the show. So there's going to be a lot of fun, bad Larry the Cable Guy impressions. And I, I, we're imagining there's got to be a CGI reindeer in there somewhere. What You were going to give out money if there isn't a CGI reindeer, right? Oh, yeah. I'm going to give out a buck to, to, any, to, to all of my co-hosts if there's not a CGI reindeer. I mean, there's definitely going to be farting, for sure, because it's Larry. Uh, there... I'm I'm wondering though, is there going to be a, a camo Santa Claus hat? Which is that's fifty fifty. That would be pretty awesome. I, have you guys seen Tooth Fairy two? Oh yes, we did. We did an episode on that. That's where we kind of fell in love with Larry uh, in probably one of the worst turns in his career. Wow, that's one of the few episodes I haven't listened to yet. Yeah, that's an older one. Uh, we did that I think for our worst of twenty thirteen. So that, that 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 that's going back a ways at this point, but yeah, uh, that's I love direct to DVD sequels, especially when you get a not bankable star to replace a bankable star. When the first movie is kind of shouldn't really exist anyway. Exactly, and we're just gonna go and just kind of I don't know this guy. This guy was something at some point, so that's the same thing as The Rock or Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Hey, tell me uh, a little bit more about We Are Strangers. Uh, That was an independent uh, kind of improvised film that me, Andrew Jupin from We Hate Movies, uh, Sean Weiner, who's guested on a bunch, and uh, the the Private Cabin Collective, as we call ourselves, kind of put out a kind of a a series of interconnected uh, improvised short films that turned into one feature length, uh, one feature length improvised film, which was a lot of fun and has been super rewarding. Uh, we played at uh, New Filmmakers in New York, which was a nice, like you know, kind of coming home for us. And yeah, we're we're trying to find new avenues for it uh, as we go, and maybe get it streaming or something so that everybody can check it out because we're really proud of it. Steve Sadak, what was your character's name in that movie? Uh, Steve Sadak, actually. Uh, I Very really nice. Well, actually, Steve. I don't go the uh, the, the I didn't do, do the second name, but uh, that's how creative I am. Uh, I'm kind of like Tony Danza that way. I'm always playing Steve. I was hoping it was going to be Russell Procope, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, well, I do have a lot of his attributes as far as ladies, uh, you know, going nuts. Jeff Speakman is Jeff Speakman in <laughs> They Call Me Jeff. <laughs> Steve, where can people catch up with you? Uh, I am at Stephen Sadak, which I'll spell because my name's terrible. Uh, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-A-J-D-A-K on Twitter, at Stephen Sadak. Uh, you can also check out at WHM Podcast on Twitter. You can check out whmpodcast.com. You can also, while you're there, check out blameitonouterspace.com. Uh, yeah, did I make that up? No, it's uh, at blamespacepod on Twitter. 
Uh, I'm actually doing a, I think I just have done at this point, a hour-long episode with them as Patrick Stewart. So you might want to check that out. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Well, I, I think I just blew Eric's whole thing because I think he wants you to think it was Patrick Stewart, but it was, prob- it was probably me or Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Well, thank you again, Stephen. Uh, we'll have links to where people can find you and more about We Hate Movies over at our uh, website, projection-boot.com. And we'll have a link, of course, to where the people can find your episode about Hamburger the Motion Picture so they can, you know, compare and hear how we did versus how you guys did and, and uh, what what you had to say about that. So go on over to projection-boot.com. Check it out. Go on to iTunes, leave us some feedback, go subscribe to We Hate Movies. You will definitely appreciate it. I got turned on to them a few months ago when I listened to the Planet of the Apes Tim Burton episode, which was pretty much making me cry with laughter while I was listening to it. So better than so much. Oh yeah, of course. It's great stuff. I mean, I that is one show I've kind of have given up other shows right now. I've been going through your back catalog, so I I'm remiss on everything else, so I apologize to all my other podcasting friends, but I'm catching up on We Hate Movies right now. That's a noble goal. Uh no, thank you so much. This is a, a ton of fun. Uh this is the only time in my life I will share an accolade or a credit with William Friedkin. So, I mean, that and like breathing air. So it's, it's, it's really unique and you guys are awesome in your own right. And I love you guys. So thank you so much for this. This is a lot of fun. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to see what we have coming up, visit our Facebook page or download our free app for your smartphone or Kindle fire. It's free. And remember, there's a lot of bull in every bite. We're the mate, man. And you suck.
this is my last chance at a career and a pretty nice inheritance and all the psychiatrist said was I've got to exercise a little sexual self-control now oh, you keep your rubbers as long as I'm here at Buster Burger you women and sex are out if you enjoy this show and want more people to know about it, head on over to iTunes, leave a comment, and rate it five stars. Make sure you like and share us on Facebook, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Just search for Christopher Media. Thank you in advance for supporting Christopher Media by clicking on the PayPal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support ChristopherMedia.net. Most importantly, we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you. Christopher Media could not exist without your support. Thank you for visiting ChristopherMedia.net, and thank you for listening. Christopher Media. Let's make some noise.